Good morning. If you have a Bible, please take a turn to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 23. And as we're doing this, we were going to walk verse by verse to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is one of the largest sections of, of Jesus' teaching, unadulterated, that we have in the Bible. Um, and we're going to just get, we, we got it kicked off last week, and we, we, we saw how the book of Matthew is very concerned with showing that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the long-awaited king. And we, we know that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that he is God in the flesh, and he's come to, with him, he's the king, he's brought with him a kingdom. And, that, and the Sermon on the Mount helps us understand what the kingdom is all about. And so if you would, Matthew 4, verse 23, if you don't have a copy of it, it'll be on the screen here for you in a second. It says this, and he, talking about Jesus, went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, which means the ten cities, and from Jerusalem and Judea and from and from beyond the Jordan. And so Jesus can't, comes, and he does all these miracles. Now, we talked about last week, the miracles that he does, these healings and things like that in his preaching, is a sign of what's coming. It's that, that we're what's here. It's the kingdom. And the kingdom involves the undoing of all that sin and death have done. And so if you go back to our first parents, man, when, when sin entered into the world, bam, the curse came. And that's why we have all of, this, all of the bad things we have, the sicknesses, the demon possession, the things that are, are still in this world today, all of those things. And they are being done away with when the king shows up. And it's an already not yet thing. He's brought this kingdom with him. And so the Sermon on the Mount, he's about, he does all these things. And then verse 5 of Matthew 5, it says this, seeing the crowds who've come to him to see all these things that are coming, to see all the, the, the kingdom, to see people healed, to see God do miraculous things, which is just a foretaste of what he's going to do when he recreates the world and in and, and salvation. Verse 5 shows up, and seeing the crowds that are following him, Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat down, which is... You know, when I, get up, when I come up to preach, I stand up, but see, in their day, they would sit to teach. And so Jesus would sit down on the mountain, and his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, and he's going to begin to talk. The sermon begins at this point, but before we get to that, the beginning, we need to understand what this is. He's proclaiming God's kingdom is here, and it's going to come in its fullness and when God's kingdom comes, that means two things. It means a restoration of all that is broken in the world and salvation and life for all who would believe. Let me say that again. When the, God, when the kingdom of God comes through Jesus, it means it's the restoration of all that's broken in the world. Jesus comes, and he's healing the sick. Those who have different ailments, paralysis, epilepsy, demon possession, different d diseases we see. He is coming and he's setting, making those things right. And it's a foretaste of the book of Revelation where it says that one day when, when our king comes and he makes all things right, he will wipe away every tear from every eye of the saints, those who believe. So that is the restoration. All that's broken will be made right. Second thing he says is that, it, it, that we see here when he comes, is he brings with him life. So here's the thing. Faith in Jesus is in, you enter into the kingdom by faith in Jesus, and you're saved by faith in Jesus alone. And if, you, and if you enter into the kingdom, that means you have life, life eternal. But if you do not come to faith, you are outside of the kingdom. And he would talk about this, that there's a, narrow, there's a broad is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way of life. And so he comes, he's preaching, and all these people are there, and he sits down to teach them. And what this is, I don't know if you do, you do this, I like to watch travel shows. Does anybody like to watch travel shows? Especially travel shows with food related, because that is super cool. All right, so when they go to Italy, I, yeah, yeah, Leaning Tower of Pisa, I want to see pizza, okay? I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the thing that happened. So I watch a lot of different travel shows, um, and, and when I, I got a little wanderlust in me. I want to go places. I love to see that stuff. And when you go see a travel show, when you watch a travel show, you see the food on there. You're not just going, oh, I'm glad that guy gets to eat that. What are you thinking? I want to go to there. Okay, I mean, that's what you want. You're like, I want to go. Let them take me. I, I want to go see. I want to experience that. I want to go and see that. 
<laughs> I almost stepped off the stage. That would have been really bad. Okay, Tom would be like, hey, welcome back, Tom. Crowd surf. Um, <laughs> It would have been the worst crowd surf ever. <laughs> Just me falling on Tom and the hospital being called. Um, when, you, when you watch these shows, you see it and you, you want to go there. It's a, it, it make it, you desire to experience that culture and the people. And what Jesus does here, when he brings these miracles with him, he's giving us a taste of the kingdom to come. It's art we can experience now, but we will experience fully. And in these words, the Sermon on the Mount, he is, it's like a travel show saying, hey, this is what's to come. This is the kingdom that I bring now, this new rule and reign of God, heaven come to earth. It's here now, and this is like a travel show. I want to show you what it's like in this kingdom so you will want to go and be a part of it. And so when he goes, he's going to go through these things called the Beatitudes, which means blessedness. And it means, it means to be blessed. And so you've probably heard these before, but I want to read, you, read, read them to you. So I've set the stage. He's sitting down. He's teaching. And he comes with these beatitudes. Verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so everyone, if you notice something, if you're, if you're reading your Bible and looking at it, you notice something, every one of those sentences begins with the word blessed. Now, a lot of times we think of blessed as... Uh, as something like when we have abundance of materials and we feel blessed like that, you know, maybe put hashtag blessed on something, okay, you know, look at all these great kids I got in my my life, hashtag blessed, okay, look at all this food we got, hashtag blessed, I mean, whatever you're going to do, that would be, that's what you're thinking of, but blessedness in the Bible has a bigger meaning. It can be translated happy, but happy is such a small word, word to us because, you know, I've talked about this many times, happiness comes and goes very quickly, okay, you're having a, a good day, you stub your toe, you're having a bad day, okay? You have ice cream, ice cream falls on the ground. Their happiness is dictated by ice cream hitting the turf, okay? That is small, and that is not the idea of blessedness or being blessed in the Bible. What we see here, when Jesus is calling the people of God, those who would enter into the kingdom by faith, when he talks about them, he calls them blessed, and, he, and it's a situation of approval, okay? And now I want you to think about this. We bless God, not in the same way he blesses us, but we bless God in this way. When we praise, it's, we're blessing him in the sense of we are saying, God, we are, we, are, we are grateful and we approve all who you are. It's not a condescension. It's not like God needs our approval. He's not there like, please love me. No, he doesn't need that whatsoever. But when we praise, we're saying, God, you are awesome. We appro- you're so great. We, you're, all your ways are good. You're approving and saying, God, you are great. And so we bless God. And here's the other thing in the Bible, God blesses us. And that is, he, uh, he, will, uh, he approves and gives blessing. And, and, and that approval is not based on us, but it's based on his goodness. It's, not something, it's a condescension for him to do these things. He has to reach down to us to do this. And so when we see the word blessed, it means those who are approved and right and, and joyful because they know God. And God has given them the thumbs up. And so here's what we get here. This tour guide, if you will. This, is, this travel show, the sermon is a travel show taking us in the king, inside the kingdom. And we're going to look, and with the blessedness, we see this. Here are the things that, that God approves of, the characteristics and qualities of a person inside the kingdom which God approves, and the blessings which come. So qualities and blessings. Now these qualities are totally upside down than what the world would think is right. I told you the Sermon on the Mount is going to be just, it's have you ever just looked at somebody and been like, I don't understand the way your brain works? Like, if you're married, it happens, okay? And most of the time, it's my wife to me, but every now and then it's me to her, but most of the time she's like, I don't understand why your brain does what it does, and I said, I don't either, okay? I don't know why, because I, I, I you'll find me just in random places sometimes, and you're like, Matt, what are you doing? I was like, I forgot what I was supposed to do. I mean, that happens to me like, oh, it may be you. And I was like, I, I came in this room for something. I get distracted 20 minutes later. So I thought you were bringing that. I was like, oh, 
Sorry, she's like, I don't get how your brain functions, okay? Um, here's what happens when you see the Sermon on the Mount. This is, the world looks at Jesus and his teaching and goes, I don't get how your brain functions. Because it's so different, it's so dramatically different than what the world sees as a great quality. All of the things in the Beatitudes, these, these approved, God-approved qualities of those in the kingdom are totally opposite of the world. It, is, it, it goes against all the things that Jesus said. It goes against the religious and the irreligious. It's countercultural. It goes against any political system you want to be in. These words are so revolutionary when he speaks them and he talks about it. He, he takes us this view that heaven come to earth, and it should be. Our world is so broken by sin when the holiness of God's kingdom comes in the person of Jesus, it should be starkly different and weird. We love to watch those, like, we've made, how many movies have been made about aliens coming to earth? I mean, like, so many. We have a preoccupation with this foreign thing coming to earth, and here's the thing, when Jesus comes, he brings with him this foreign, foreign kingdom. It's alien to us, but he is peeling back the veil, and he's showing us, these are the people, the blessed ones, the ones that God approves of, and here are their qualities, and we begin in verse 3, and it says, blessed, approved, happy are those are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, if you go and look at, there's a sermon on the plain in which Jesus gives in Luke, okay? And Luke just has, blessed are the poor. Now, some people have taken that and they've, taught, they've tried to develop from that, that section in Luke um, outside of, and not, not pairing it with Matthews. They've tried to go all sorts of places and try to say that the poverty is good. Have you ever seen poverty? Poverty is not good. That's not what Jesus is referring to. Poverty is, I don't have enough food to eat. Jesus is not calling that a blessed state. If you've ever seen poverty and the hopelessness it brings, Jesus is not going, you know what's great? You know who's blessed? People who are poor. Like, just have absolute poverty. He's not talking about economic poverty. He can't be. Because Jesus, Jesus was, was poor, but he wasn't in poverty necessarily. He see, and he would feed the masses. He would give good things to them. He would, he would decry love of money, but there was nothing wrong with, with, with money. Money is an indicator where your heart is. So poor, being poor is not what he's saying. It's like, great. Okay, some of you are like, great, if being blessed is, <laughs> you know being poor ain't blessed. Rich comes with its own set of trappings, too. Remember the whole, he'd talk about the, the needle through the eye of the, you know, it was easier for a rich man to get to heaven than a camel to fit through the eye of the needle, and camels don't go through needles' eyes very easily. So when he says poor in spirit, he is referring to a spiritual quality, not an economic quality, and he says, blessed, happy are the poor in spirit, and then he says, why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, he uses an image here. Jesus is great. He has, his words are just dripping with image and emotion. And he talks about being poor. Now, the closest I ever came to poverty and being poor was when I went to seminary. We were broke. We didn't try to tell anybody we were broke, but like, we were crazy broke, okay? And we, we would, I mean, we, money was, was super tight. And we had health insurance that was terrible that we paid a lot of money for. You get, can I get an OME from anybody out there, okay? And I got sick my last year that I was at seminary, and they wanted me, and I couldn't, I was having problems breathing, which is important, I'm told, okay? And um, so I went to this doctor that had a clinic on the campus that doctors would come in and donate their time. And you could go to the doctor there for five bucks, which if I went to the doctor on my insurance, it was like, oh, we'll need your pancreas, okay? I mean, it was like, here. Um, so I could go to this doctor, and I'd go, and I, I would see him once a week, and, he, and I, just, I just couldn't breathe. My oxygen levels weren't right. I was having a real hard time breathing, and the guy finally came in, and, and this guy was from New Jersey, and he cut, <laughs> he cut to a quick, I don't know what's wrong with you, but I got a medicine that'll help you. It's really expensive. And I was like, awesome. Well, I'm going to die. See you later, okay? It was, like, it was like $300 for one month supply. And I was like, well, we could eat and have electricity or I could breathe. I mean, this was not a great situation. So I couldn't afford this medicine. 
But he advocated for me to a pharmaceutical company. And this is the mo- one of the most helpless feelings I've ever had. I just I couldn't get what I needed to make me function properly. And then in my poverty, I got accepted in this program, and they gave me the, the stuff I needed, and I, I healed up. But that is not a great feeling. But Jesus calls it blessed in relationship in, in the spiritual realm. It says those who enter into the kingdom, the quality of those who enter into the kingdom should be those who are poor in spirit, which means this, that they look at pov- their, their poverty, not their f- economic poverty, but they look at their spiritual poverty and recognize it. See, it's blessed to see your spiritual poverty. What do, you, what do you mean by that? You cannot do anything to make yourself right with God. Nothing. You can't wash away your own sins. You can't cover them up. You can't get your good deeds to outweigh your bad deeds. Jesus says the quality of those that's blessed enter into the kingdom ones that we should emulate and go after of this tour guide of the people who are in the kingdom is they are poor in spirit, which means they see that they cannot do anything on their own, and they need, if they're going to be saved, it's all a work of God. And he says that's blessed. Blessed. Now, this is the opposite of the religious leaders of his day. I told you Jesus is going to be completely countercultural. You know what they would say? Well, we got the books of the law. Abraham's son, follow Moses. I keep all the commandments. I tithe of even my crops. I go every tenth crop. I give that to the Lord. I go like one corn, two corn, three corn, four corn, nine corn, ten corn, gods. Spices, that's gods. They would keep all the rules. I've been circumcised on the eighth day according to the custom of David. They would do all these things, and they thought they were better than other people. And Jesus would regularly say, woe to you. You're far from the kingdom of God. And the irreligious, they prided themselves on good works, if you will. Maybe not the same type, but yeah, I'm a pretty good person. Jesus comes and says, poverty of spirit, which means you have an understanding that, of your spiritual bankruptcy. Oh, that's not a, that's not a in, in an age of your best life now, Jesus comes with this word, and it says, you can't do anything to save yourself. And that's a blessed situation to get to the point where you realize that all of your spiritual goodness depends on God, and you have nothing good in, your, in and of yourself. That is a blessed state. And here's what he says. He says, here's the privilege. So that's the, that's the quality is being poor in spirit. The privilege is this. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So to come into, to enter into the kingdom and to own a part of it, you don't come and bring all your spiritual merit badges. You're, you know, like one of my favorite times of year, it's a blessing and a curse, is Girl Scout cookie time. Okay? They're awesome. But have you ever looked at the calories on those things? Like I think they're like, hey, this cookie's pretty good. Let's add 7,000 calories somehow, okay? And, and like those little Thin Mints, golly, put those in the freezer. Hallelujah, okay? And you get those things out. And little, think about merit badges, you know, for a Girl Scout or a Cub Scout or a Boy Scout. And this says, look, I did this, I did this. I'm approved. Look how good of a scout I am here, here, and here. To get into the kingdom, you come with a rat, rat a just torn up vest with not a single patch on it. It's disgusting. It's been in your trunk for a while. Maybe got ran over. And you bring it and say, this is all I got. If I'm going to get in, it's because of you. And God said, if the kingdom is for those who recognize their spiritual poverty. This is offensive. I get it. Because all of us want to feel like we made it. want to feel like we are good enough for love and those. But here's the facts. Poverty of spirit is what is the quality that's of those who are entering into the kingdom and have a part in it. Then he goes on. The next one he says, he says, blessed are those who mourn, 
One translator said it this way to show you how kind of absurd this is. Happy are those who are sad, <laughs> for they shall be comforted. Now, wait a second. What? Eternally happy are those who are sad. That's, that's odd, right? It's strange. And then it says, happy are those who are sad. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So here's the thing. God approves the mourner in his kingdom. That's a quality. You're walking around and you see the people, okay? Like when you're on a, in the travel show, you see all the Spanish people and how much fun they like to have eating their tapas and, and you know, wearing their trendy clothes and taking siestas and eating dinner at 10 o'clock, okay? That's the qualities of somebody from Spain. You look at the kingdom of God, the first quality is poor spirit. The second one is a mourner. And it says, when you do this, you shall be comforted. What does the mourning have to relate to? Jesus, again, is not talking about being sad at a loss. Let me give you an example of why. His friend Lazarus would pass away in John. Jesus would show up on the situation, and he would become greatly moved. Now, we don't know exactly. There's, he, just, he cries out, and he weeps. In fact, that's one of the shortest verses in the Bible is, Jesus wept. Okay? You want to memorize one? You go home today. I memorize scripture. Jesus wept. Boom. You got it. All right? That is, that's, that's one verse of scripture. Like, if you want to go home, I memorize the verse of scripture. Jesus wept. So he goes up. His friend has died. He's been dead for a while. He got that great line in the story where he, if it's, you read it in the King James Version, it's like, Jesus like, let's go in and see him. And like, hey, he stinketh. Okay? He's been dead for a while. Don't open that. That's one of my favorite lines from the KJV. He stinketh. It's fantastic. Um, if you're going to get a Bible tattoo, put he stinketh somewhere, okay, on your body. Not advocating, just saying. Um, you get to this point where he said, open, roll, this, roll the stone back, and he gets up. But before Jesus brings the resurrection, he cries out. And he is, we don't know why. It, it, it's, an, it's kind of an angry cry. That word that they use there is, is, is interesting. It's sadness. It's anger at death. Mourning, if you've been there, is not a great place to be. I mean, God can use all things for his glory and for your good, for those who are called according to his purpose. But mourning is not in and of itself, just like poverty. God can use poverty to show you great things. Like he showed poverty, uh, physical poverty can relate to spiritual poverty, and it shows you how much you need somebody to advocate for you to, uh, or see somebody to, to, to give you so you're dependent on God. Just the same way mourning when that sadness, that it, it's not great, fit, that just being sad over a loss is not what Jesus is calling blessed. What he's getting at is, is really this is related to spiritual principles as well. And it says in the kingdom, when you see the people, the qualities of the people in the kingdom of God, they're poor in spirit. They realize their spiritual bankruptcy. And secondly, they mourn. It's related to the first thing. They mourn over sin. They mourn over their own sin. First off, here's the thing. Before you mourn over the sin of the world, you should mourn over your own sin. Because it's those, usually, who are the biggest jerks that look at other people's sin before they look at their own. Now, once you've looked at your own and you looked at the Scripture, then it's fine to, to mourn over the weight of sin. But have you ever thought about sin and how, how grievous it is and how vile we are? See, and it frees you up when you realize you're poor in spirit and you don't have to be good enough to get in. You have to trust something else. You have to trust Christ. Then your pride, the humility level goes down. You're, you're humble and you recognize. You don't, I don't, if, I, if heaven ain't a gift, I'm not getting in. The kingdom is a gift. I'm not, unless it's a gift, I'm not getting in. Then we can mourn and see how vile our sin is and mourn. Most of us don't think about mourning. You know what our, our culture thinks about? How can we avoid being sad? Unless it's Hallmark season for movies, and then every first like, how can I have, how can I not avoid being sad and then happy? Okay, because everything has the same storyline. Boy meets girl, it's great. Something happened. No tears. <gasps> They're back together. Who saw it coming? I will walk in sometimes, and my wife is watching this movie. She's just crying. I'm like, why are you watching that? I just wanted to cry. I was like, God. why? 
Why would, why would you ever do that? I mean, under any circumstances. The, the mourning here is, is over sin. And it's not just a personal mourning over sin that God calls blessed. It's also what Jesus did when he looked out at Jerusalem. And he would see, and he would see them as a sheep without, a sheep without a shepherd. And he said, Jerusalem, why will you not repent and turn? And so the characteristics of those in the kingdom of God, they, they mourn over their sin, and they mourn over the sin of the world. This is different than being angry at the sin of the world. Do you get the two differences? Mourning and anger, they can be connected to each other, but not necessarily. And in this case, we think a lot of times that we get mourning and anger over sin confused. Um, this is a while back. Uh, I used to, uh, our church, when I was in Florida, was located next to this church called Bible Believers Baptist Church. They had a picture of people. On, this was their billboard. It was like, come join us. And then at the bottom, it was people in a writhing in hell. Was a, They had a picture of it. I was like, wow. I mean, I believe in a literal heaven and a literal hell. But that doesn't seem real inviting to people who are, you're wanting to tell them the good news, okay? The gospel. And that is part of the good news. You've got to have the bad news for the good news to be so good. They would, as you can tell where I'm going with this, they would picket everything. And by pickets, you know what I'm talking about. Like they'd have signs and bullhorn and yell at you. I'd go to a movie, and they'd be out there picketing the movie all the time. They'd picket in front of their church. I don't even know what they were picketing, but they have a sign that says, you're, you know, you're going to hell. And I was like, yes, <laughs> we need Jesus. Everyone is, okay? And they were so angry and vile. That is not mourning over sin of the world. That is just being an angry moron. I'm just, just be honest with you. Because Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Now, those who don't believe in him will be condemned. He would say that in John, 3, like in John chapter 3. But what does he come? The mourners over sin. They mourn over their own sin. And they mourn over the sin in the world, which is not anger, which is wanting and desiring people to know God and to enter into the kingdom. Yes, to see sin as noxious, as terrible. And we need to labor and to see that, that those in the kingdom, we don't see sin as something good. We see sin as something bad that we mourn over, something that sent Jesus to the cross. Sin is noxious. Those in the kingdom see this, and here's the good thing. If you mourn, blessed are the mourn, in verse 4, for they shall be comforted. Now, this is a, all these promises, they're in future, okay, in the future tense. I say they shall be, but Jesus talks about the kingdom as here and coming, right? It's already and not yet. I want you to see all these blessings. You can enter into the kingdom now by faith in Jesus Christ, and these characteristics would begin to be formed in you, okay? All of these things, but they won't be completed until he comes again and he brings the kingdom in its entirety when he comes at the end and makes all things right. But you can experience the comfort now. You can experience all these things now, not in its fullness, but in part. For example, I had a, we had a conversation the other night in a Bible study um, with a bunch of guys, and we were talking about how much our sin is bothering us now. How we would be in, like it used to be when I was driving in the car and I'd get road rage, it was everybody else's fault that I'm yelling at you, okay? <laughs> it's my fault. You're making me mad. It's your fault because you're a moron driver, and that's why I'm mad. It's your fault. You're culpable for my sin. And then as our, as our conversation <laughs> unfolded at Bible study, we're like, we had come, now we had come under the conviction that it's, yes, they're still bad drivers, but we're culpable for our actions and attitudes. And we did not like that, and we discussed together about what, how do we put sin to death, and how do we walk, how do we walk in the Spirit, and, and what was happening here is, the, this is the goodness of God. His kindness leads us to conviction over sin, which means we see 
the commands of the Bible, and we see where we fall short, and we see the holiness of God, and when we see how we fall short, and we mourn over our sins, and we can know the comfort of Christ now, but we will still struggle with sin, even as believers, until the last day when sin is eradicated, and we'll know full comfort. You know the comfort, when you know your sins are forgiven because you've trusted Christ, and you just know that he paid for it, there is a great, there's a great comfort there that you can know now. But you're going to struggle with sin still. And you're going to try to put it to death. And you're going to walk the path of sanctification, being made more like Jesus. You're going to keep walking there. But you're going to know the full comfort eventually when it's over. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They can know the comfort now, but there's a comfort coming when sin will be done away with. And thirdly, we see here in this, in this quality of the kingdom, it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, it's football season, as many of you know. Meekness is not a quality that is highly valued in football. You guys just be real gentle out there. It's another way you could translate meek. Remember, anybody ever heard their coach say that? Maybe you think your team played like your coach told them, be gentle out there, okay? All right, but the facts are, be aggressive. Get in their face. Knock them out. Okay? And that's fine. That's, that's a sport, okay? That's, that's, you're supposed to keep it on the field. But you hear that, be aggressive, go. If, if you think about and our society does not, Think highly of those who are gentle and humble and mild. Because I think, first off, we have a misunderstanding of what humility and meekness and gentleness can be. Because Jesus was humble and meek, but he was powerful too. Right? But in submission to God and to fulfill his role as Messiah, he came and he emptied himself, which means he didn't lose any of his power, but he did not use his divine powers. He came and suffered as a man, and he struggled as a man and overcame sin as a man. And he was, he was tempted at all points as we are, yet without sin, as the book of Hebrews would say. And so when he comes, he is the essence of power and submission to God and humility and gentleness, the one who, the King of kings and Lord of lords, washed his disciples' stank feet. On the cross, when he was being crucified, what did they yell out at Jesus? Hey, if you're the Son of God, why don't you send the angels down to take you off the cross? And he could have. He could have been like, boys, okay, and be like, angels down there were like big flaming angel swords or whatever. They take out some folks. What did he do? He suffered, was humiliated, and he was, it was power underneath the lordship of God the Father. And that's what he see here is blessed are the meek. Those who realize their spiritual state, their spiritual bankruptcy, those who mourn over their sin, the meek here are those who recognize, meekness has to do, it's similar to poor in spirit. You recognize who you are, and then you treat God and others as that way, in that way. You recognize that you don't have anything to bring to the table, and you treat others with humility and gentleness. What does that look like? Well, when you come to God and when you pray, or when you experience, even when you experience something difficult, you know what you don't, you know what you don't do, or you don't stay in long? You ever done this before, throw a temper tantrum before God? I mean, not like maybe you didn't like fall out on your face and, okay, maybe you did, okay? I mean, the Psalms got a lot of emotion in them, all right? You ever been in that place where you're just like, I can't believe why you would let this happen to me. I serve you. I follow you. You know that person down the street who is rich? Do you know what they do? Do you know how they live? Do you know how rude they are to the server? I tip even when the service is bad. I, I'm at church all the time, and I'm getting the shaft, and they're, they're succeeding, those sinful people over there. That is not a poor in spirit. That's a debtor's ethic. Like, God, I'm doing good, therefore you give me good things. And if we don't have the radical alien nature of the kingdom to speak to us, we'll all live in that. Say, God, I can't believe you brought bad things in my life. How dare you? 
I follow you. I do all these things for you. Now, spiritual bankruptcy says, I don't deserve life. My sin deserves judgment, eternal hell. It really does. And unless the kingdom is a gift, I'm not getting in. And then it leads us to mourning over our sins, which leads to our meekness, which is, God, whatever you bring my way, you've been so good to me in Jesus, I don't understand it, and there may be a rage for a moment, but you come to the place, you don't wallow in your temper tantrum, you turn around, and you, you eventually come in faith and say, God, you are good, and you've given me more than I deserve, and ultimately, I will be comforted in my mourning. So I trust you. Meekness has that way. It, it's meek towards God. It's a humble spirit towards God, and it's a humble spirit towards others. See, usually, we're not outright arrogant. We're passive-aggressive in our arrogance. There's this great video that I watched the other day about a whole bunch of moms that were together, and it was like passive-aggressive time. And they would do it by this, like, you're so brave. Oh, you're so brave that you're giving your kid a bottle and not breastfeeding. You're so brave. They're just cutting each other. Like, you're so brave you let your kids eat chicken nuggets. You're so brave. Okay, you're so brave you vaccinate. You're so brave you don't vaccinate. You're so brave. And what they were doing was cutting each other and asserting their superiority at the same time. It was a hilarious video because it's so true. You are you are puffing yourself up, and you think, man, I'm thankful I'm not like those people. I'm thankful I'm not like them. That is the opposite of meekness. In fact, we see Jesus, when he would tell the parable of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee, this religious leader, was like standing up there praying to God, God, I'm thankful I'm not like all these other sinners, tax collectors, people who defraud you. I'm thankful, I'm thankful that I tithe and do all this great stuff. Then they got this other in this parable that Jesus tells. They got this other guy who is a, a tax collector and a sinner. And he's over there going, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And what does Jesus pronounce? The one who said, be merciful to me, a sinner, is the one who went home right with God. Meekness, because we recognize our poverty, spiritual poverty, we recognize that we need to mourn over sin, meekness is this, where we treat God and others with humility because we realize something, that we don't deserve anything. And any spiritual good that we have is a blessing. It's something we don't deserve. And so we don't try to assert our superiority over another person by saying how good we are. Pastors are really bad about this. You go to another thing, pastors are bad? Yeah, walk in to a pastor's meeting. First thing, how big is your church? I don't know, you tell me first, and I'll add 10% to what, how much I got, okay? Because <laughs> that is the mark of spirituality. I just got real here, okay? That's exactly the truth. You walk into a place and you want to, you, we all try to do this and make our, and meekness is saying no. And what is the deal? What, what is the privilege of meekness? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Usually it's the aggressive that'll take over, and it's no, in God's kingdom, everything's turned upside down, and those who are humble towards other people will inherit the earth. And I tell you this there is a great power in someone who recognizes that they are dependent on God. Here's a great thing. When people walk through our doors here, where's where we want to be? We don't want to be like, hmm, they don't really look churchy. They don't look the part. They look real uncomfortable, that Bible. Um, they're turning, they, they don't have one with them. Um, they, they don't even know how to open their app right. version is just starting up, okay? Um, and you look at them and you're like, hey, you don't fit in here. We're better than you. You might have been someplace like that before. No, the meek in the kingdom of God say, oh, brother, sister, come on in. I once was a beggar too, but I found bread. It was given to me. I once was lost, and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I once didn't understand, but through God's grace I do. And I didn't deserve it, and I didn't earn it, and I'm not smart enough, I'm not the best, but his grace came to me. So you come on in. You sit down. And yeah, I know your life's messy. Mine is too, if I'm honest. 
but there's this grace that I've found, and I want you to find it too. And it just, it just changes the way you approach people. The kingdom is full of people who are meek and humble because they realize if heaven ain't a gift, I'm not getting in. The kingdom's not, if it's not a free gift, I got no business being there. And then in verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You know the show Survivor? Anybody heard of that show before? Some of you are looking at me like, I've never heard of that. It was on uh, one of the major networks. And what it was is they take people from Western cultures, America, and they put them on an island. Sometimes people actually lived on that island, which I think was a little bit. <laughs> people are living like they're a couple miles down the road living like these people are. And they're like, we're surviving, okay? <laughs> so were they. They lived there. So they take you over to, the, they put these on this island. They go to some island in the South Pacific and South America or somewhere. And they take you to this place and they do all these immunity challenges but you wouldn't have anything to eat. Like, you'd have only what they would give you, and they'd give you just a little bit of stuff, and then you had to, like, find food and kill it and, and do all that kind of stuff to try to survive in these tropical environments. You've seen the show. In case you haven't seen the show, unless the two or three people who've never seen the show, that's what happens. There was an episode a long time ago, back when I used to watch Survivor, which was, like, in the early 2000s, okay? Um, so back in that, there was this episode in which they gave all of the contestants... I think it was like $2,000 in $100 bills. And they could either keep that money, and obviously they couldn't use it there, but they'd save it for when they got kicked off or at the end. They could either keep the money or they could use that money to bid on items. And so it was like, you know, bag of rice or a hatchet, fire starter. So they brought out a hamburger. And like, a, like this big old nasty cheeseburger, you know, Egg on it. That was good. I mean, it was like they brought it out. Like, Here you go. And you better believe the bidding started. $500. Would you pay $500 for hamburger? <laughs> Unless you're at a hotel in New York City, you're not paying $500 for hamburger, okay? But you're like, yeah, man, I'm doing it. Yeah. I think that thing sold for like $1,200. Why? Because they were hungry. And again, Jesus would use these physical things to talk about spiritual realities here. Like poverty, physical poverty makes us understand spiritual poverty. And mourning, physical mourning and earthly mourning will help us understand spiritual mourning over sin. And here he talks about hungering and thirsting over righteousness. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So God says it's a good thing for us to be the people who are hungry for and thirsty for righteousness. And you've been hungry before. Maybe not survivor hungry, but you know that feeling, that great desire. You might even say, if I don't have something to eat soon, I'm going to die. If I don't have something to eat soon, I'm going to hit you. You get hangry, okay? You might have been that, if I get that super dry mouth and you need some refreshing and then you grab something out of, the, out of the fridge and you drink it and you know that feeling and that satisfaction. That is just saying blessed are those who hunger and thirst, have a great desire for righteousness. Now, righteousness is understood in three ways in the Bible. The first way we understand it is being righteousness. The word can be understood as being as legal righteousness, which means a desire to be right with God. Second way righteousness is used is morally. Blessed are those who want to be right with God. Blessed are those who want to be morally upright. Not for the purposes of condescension, like how, look how much better I am than you, but because you want to reflect the character of God in your life. And thirdly, and this is in the Bible, you want to see righteousness socially. You want to see the oppressed find relief. You want to see those who are treated unfairly be, be treated fairly, to be treated as they ought. So you want to love justice and mercy. You want to you reflect God is a just God, and you want to see justice and righteousness done on the earth. And he says, a, a quality of those in the kingdom is that they hunger and they thirst to be right with God, and they hunger and thirst to be morally correct in their behavior, and they hunger and thirst for, God, for oppression and, and injustice to cease. What does the Bible say? 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. The Snickers commercials are awesome. You got the hangry person, you know, like the person turns into Danny DeVito and they're yelling and screaming and acting crazy, <laughs> which Danny DeVito is like the perfect angry guy, okay? And so what happens is he's like, hey, you're hungry. Try a Snickers. And they give you a Snickers. And it's like, ah, oh. you ever look on the back of a Snickers? It says Snickers. And then usually on the other part, it says satisfies. And there's a lot of truth to that. Because if you're super hungry and you can't get to real food, that nougat and caramel will do, okay? And you got that. <sighs> so here's the thing. Those in the kingdom, they mourn over their sin. They realize their spiritual poverty. They're poor in spirit. Those in the kingdom mourn over their sin. Those in the kingdom are meek and they recognize their spiritual poverty. And they let that recognition spill out to other people in the way they interact with God and other people. And they hunger and thirst for righteousness. They want to be made right with God. And you know what? They'll be satisfied because here's the thing. In Christ, by faith, God makes us right. It's the word justification. Not on based on us doing well, but on Christ's finished work. Our sins are forgiven and we're legally made right with Jesus. So we can experience that now and we'll experience it fully one day. Second thing is morally. Here's the thing about the Sermon on the Mount. It is going to frustrate you to no end. And me too. Because it's going to put these things, these high shelf ideas, and we're like, who can do those things? And the answer is you can't on your own. But once you've been made new, then you'll have a new heart and a new ability to obey. Not that you'll obey completely, but now you'll be able to obey from the inside out. And moral righteousness is possible, at least to be more morally righteous than you are, to be on the process of being made, being made more like Jesus is possible through the work of the kingdom, the eternal life that you have in the Spirit. So and then one day, you will be free from the shackles of your, sin, your sinfulness, and you will know completely, if you're in Christ, what it's like to have complete victory over your moral corruptness, your moral corruption. And finally, justice. Seeing righteousness as justice. Those who hunger and thirst for oppression to cease. When Jesus comes, all oppression will be done with. And until that happens, do you realize something? Our allegiance cannot be to the kingdoms of this earth. It cannot be. We cannot stake our identities on Republican or Democrat or independent or communist or socialist or whatever you want to put or capitalist. You cannot do that if you're in the kingdom because Jesus, Jesus is a, is, says a word against all of those people, every one of them. The kingdom is not, is not in line with any ideology, political ideology that's out there. And so you know what we should be about more than that is what's truth, not what, the, not what the political narrative is. I just want to say that really clear because if you, I mean, like I got Facebook like you do. It's supercharged on there and everybody's wanting to take a side, left, right, in the middle. And I want you to get this. I'm mean, fine to have your political leanings and opinions, but the question is, are you concerned with righteousness on the earth? Are you concerned with truth? Are you concerned that people are treated justly? Are you concerned that that can go all over the place? Are you concerned with are you concerned with God's righteous rule? Or are you living in fear? Cuz here's the thing. Those in the kingdom of God, they hunger and thirst for righteousness. They hunger and thirst to be made right with God and that's available in Jesus. They hunger and thirst to be more like God, and that's available through the Spirit's work in this new kingdom, and it one day will be fully realized for them. They hunger and thirst for righteousness, justice, and they will work towards that now until one day the rightful judge is going to set everything right. That is what this is like. This is what it's like. It's like the travel show, and you see these ideals, and you're like, you're, this, this, this sermon gives us a picture. And it shows you these people here. And it shows you this life that's available and this kingdom that's now, but it's coming. And what it should make us do is like, God, I want to be like you. 
I want to live a life in the kingdom. I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want to recognize my spiritual poverty. I want to be humble and gentle. I want to mourn over sins and know your comfort in Christ. I want to hunger for you and your righteousness and know that I'll be satisfied one day. That's what I want. Just like when you see the travel shows, you go, I want to eat that. I want to go there. I want to see that. Jesus is pulling back the veil to let us see spiritual principles to see this kingdom that we can enter into by faith. And so here's the thing. Here's the response, because every time a sermon's preached, there should be some type of response. And I'm going to tell you the response is this. If those ideas are so strange to you that they are causing you great conviction and you're wrestling with them, I ask, I would pray to the Lord, seek his face and ask him to show you the truth that you might see those things as good and see your ways as false. Second, secondly, those of us who are in Christ, when we see these things, first off, it should cause a little thrill in our soul. Okay? It could be different levels of thrill. I'm not talking like roller coaster thrill, maybe. Okay? You're like, Woo! I mean, I'm not talking there. But at least, like, yes, I want this if the desire. I want to see that. And also, in the same time, it wells up that I'm not there. Here's the, here's the beauty. Our God is gracious, compassionate, and he wants to work in your life. Would you acknowledge these things to be good? Confess your sins before him, and then walk in newness of life, seeking out those things. Because, ladies and gentlemen, by faith in Christ, you're a freak. I mean that, like, you're a weirdo in this world. Me too. This is weird stuff. Because now, like, when other people are trying to assert their dominance over their people, you're, you're just like, you got a new amount of compassion and grace in your life because you're like, I don't know. I don't know. I could be wrong. If, you've ne- if you haven't uttered, I could be wrong in a while, you might have a spiritual problem, Okay. <laughs> It really meant it, okay? <laughs> you know, it's not you know, yeah, I could be wrong, <laughs> okay? That, that's the heart, that's the desire. Where are we? So if you would, let's stand. And I want to leave, uh, leave us with these words. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Walk in truth. You're dismissed.